Okay, Clay, before we get into our coverage of Real Life, our latest Voyager episode, I, uh, apropos of nothing, have a trivia question for you. It was mm. recently in the news that Do it. the original Brady Bunch house in Studio City, California, went on the market for $5.5 5 and it sold just the other day on Monday for how much? Uh, 2.3. 3.2. Ah! So you had it backwards, but you were close. I did hear that it uh, sold at a loss. Oh, okay. I was I was wondering in, in, in this market how you could go under, but I guess th- these are the only houses that are selling for less than what uh, people were houses, listing them for. Houses that have no actual living value and are just based off of 50-year-old television shows. <laughs> well, the headline from People for my Google result is, woman who bought Brady Bunch home calls it the worst investment. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so there you go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's only got I always, nowhere to go get down. Do you remember... I don't know if you were a Simpsons watcher or a Fox Fox Kids watcher back in the day, mm-hmm. but do you remember there was a contest to win the Simpsons house? And no. y- you would you would win. It was like a scale replica of the Simpsons house, painted the same way, um, decorated the same way. It was like you like exactly like the cartoon, right? But a scale yeah. replica, you mean in the sense that it's a normal sized house, but it's yes, just, yeah, it, okay. it is yeah, but it it is just the Simpsons house, but it is. Human sized. Where was it in a town called Springfield? No, I think it was in outside of Las Vegas somewhere. Yeah, okay, where the the land is dirt cheap and you can get away yeah. with doing something like that. Yeah, but that was always one of those things that you know when you're ten, you're going like, oh my god, that's the greatest thing anyone could ever win. Yeah, in history. And I, I just, I don't know what I think. I think I learned what happened to it at some point. I think whoever owned it completely renovated it Set and it made up. it not the Simpsons house. <laughs> they turned it into like uh, the Fred Flintstone house or something like that. Like, this is not the house that I was looking for. But I always I always wondered, how long can you live in that kind of house? I mean, is the Brady Bunch house, this? it can't be, it can't look like the set on the inside, It right? looks the same. It looked the same. On the me. inside? It, yeah, when I was. Really? When I was looking at it. Hold on a second here. Are there any pictures of it? Because I, I would be shocked if they actually shot, unless they yeah, it, no, unless they kept, remodeled it to look like the. It's been the renovated set. to look exactly like the set. So okay, yeah. So they maybe someone did change it at some points, but now it looks identical now to what it looks like on the TV show. Gotcha. That's a waste of money. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> something right there. I mean, you you have a limited audience. I'll send you a picture of what the interior looks like at this point, but you you have a limited. Um, audience. Oh, yeah, look at yeah. that. Yeah, so it's not, looks it like kind of cool. Shot WandaVision. Yeah, I mean, it looks cool. It, I don't know if I would want to live there, but it like if that was like an Airbnb, I would think that that was kind of a cool place. Yeah. Anyway, it reminds it reminds me of the uh, reminds me of like the the cabin on Lake Winnipesaukee that my dad's boss had. Yep. Thirty years ago, that he would let us use every now and then, which was something he probably bought thirty years before that, mm-hmm. and had never changed. So it was lots of lots of wood paneling, lots of this old kind of that that furniture that's clearly just like plastic wood grain stuck yeah. on top of shitty wood. Yep, painted <laughs> painted over wallpaper. This is real life IRL. This is the 22nd episode of the third season of Star Trek Voyager. 
First aired on the 23rd of April, 1997. Teleplay goes to Jerry Taylor. Story credit goes to Harry Doc Clore. Directed by Anson Williams in Universe Date 508.36.2, which is 2373. In real life, IRL, the doctor learns a few real life lessons with the holographic family, quote unquote, he created. Voyager investigates a massive subspace distortion. Um, I brought up the Brady Bunch house because the opening to this is obviously sort of like parodying like a 50s sitcom type mm-hmm. arrangement with the, uh, the Brady Bunch style home and everything like that. Uh, but for people who are having trouble remembering, this is basically the one where Dr. Creates holographic family. And then there's a, a B plot that has something going on <laughs> in it, which can I, like a space tornado or something. Can I, can I describe to you every, every B plot in Voyager? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think we have a chance to get some more energy if we just, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad. Well, I mean, in between the nope and that, there is a uh, there's about 15 minutes of them trying to chase the thing around to stick a thermometer into it or something mm-hmm. like that. But mm-hmm. this was a particularly bad B plot, I thought. Like and it I mean, was, yeah, it was not great. I mean, we might as well. I, you can get it out of the way because they they bend over backwards to make it somehow tie into the A plot at the very end. In that you know, Bobby Dunks risks his life and <laughs> the doctor gets upset about that. But well, and it, it, it was so it was so. I found myself thinking at the at the last in that last scene. I was like, "Why is Paris the one having this conversation with him? Paris is he even aware that he's got this fake family and no, has been doing no, this stuff? No, it should be Bolana, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should be Bolana, the one who programmed his daughter to die. Would be the the <laughs> one that he should probably man, have she, a have a talking to. If man, if you <laughs> you could not have picked. <laughs> The worst person to program your fake family for you. Yeah, the Klingon, half Klingon uh, person might be tough. The B-plot here is, uh, I mean, it's it's the only thing that's worth mentioning about it is it's it's like tremendous and how irrelevant it always. Like they, yeah. it's it's a combination of it accomplishes nothing. The, the storm itself is not really that impressive and uh, Paris just gets stuck in it for about 10 minutes. But it's like... There's no, it's it's just pure techno babble and a problem for the sake of there being a problem without any stakes whatsoever attached to the B plot. Yeah, it was really, it was really silly. Like again, it was they could have, they could have just used footage from another episode where they do almost this exact same thing. Yeah, and I wouldn't even have noticed. No. frankly, no. So we can mostly talk about the A plot unless you have anything else you want to talk about with the B plot there no it's it's just it's just so funny where it's like we've we've found this giant energy source that keeps exploding and our our probe is gone what should we do captain i want to drive into it all right just you know take one of our 1500 shuttlecrafts we have and just go crazy man (laughs) actually you're reminding me that there was something i wanted to talk about so the, what they what leads them to discover this thing is that they they are tr- trying to find like a space station that they're familiar with, mm-hmm. and they find the debris field, and they understand that the thing has been destroyed. Janeway at that moment immediately assumes that it's been attacked by someone, and there's no evidence that it's been attacked by anyone. I, I was just thinking, why doesn't she just think it was an accident and the thing just blew up? Because they, they specifically say 
there's no how many traces. times has that happened though i was just it was the uh, the stuff you should know is about the hyatt regency walkway disaster in 1981 i was just listening to that before we started recording but it's like there's just there's so many so many structural failures i think that you can make a podcast on i think that the space station could have been one of them if if only she gave it the chance yeah i don't know i mean when has that ever been the case? It's like st- Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan, the Millennium Falcon pulls out a hyperspace at Alderaan and they're like, huh, I'm, I'm sensing the screams of millions of lives snuffed out in an instant. I have to assume it was some sort of engine failure. <laughs> Don't. They at least they see the Death Star before they make assumptions. That's is all I'm saying. That here, that's true. Janeway just goes, "Someone shot them and killed them, and we're going to find out who that was because we love them." Um, <laughs> I don't. I I honestly don't even. They reference who those people are, but I don't think that we've ever met them before. So I, we, yeah, they just they come and go. Familiar. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing that I thought was kind of memorable about that whole sequence. Uh, otherwise, it's Voyager on a shuttlecraft flying into a space tornado and people being scared by it and that's the end uh the a the although the whatever one you consider to be the a plot i suppose the a plot is the doctor storyline although they get equal shrift um holographic which is, family which is bonkers frankly it kind of is so what would you think of the the holographic family plot line i i actually really liked it i thought it was really good it actually it reminded me when the episode started i had questions um because i guess the the doctor chose to program his wife after the mom from Sleepaway Camp, yep. which is a joke a joke for all you uh, rotten horror heads out there. She looks has the Just same trust haircut, me. basically. Trust me, it's hilarious. No, it's more it's more the uh, more the way she acts. The, oh, the mother okay. at the beginning of Sleepaway Camp is is completely unhinged in mm-hmm. her acting, which is what this woman is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, the first thing I thought was uh, Wandavision. Yeah. Yes. And and to a, to a, a different extent, the, what Wandavision is kind of sort of based on is a a, a a marvel comic series called vision which is obviously about vision where vision has created a family of androids um that he lives with that uh it, it's not it doesn't exactly go like this but one of them kills somebody which is fun yeah um but yeah it was i i thought it was i really enjoyed it actually i thought it was a it, uh I, I was not expecting it to get as dark as it does <laughs> Well, someone's got to die at the end of every Star Trek Voyager episode. Yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit much. Uh, to, that his daughter fucking knocked her head. Not since. Not since Worf's soccer playing murder has <laughs> a head as a has a head injury <laughs> during a sport been so devastating in Star Trek. Yeah, for the uh, the amount of damage can, she did, they it, can. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I'll, it's I'll, yeah. For the for the, the amount of damage she did, it, I all I could think about was I think what was it Liam Neeson's wife, right? Which she just oh, fell yeah. over on, like standing on the bunny slope or something, and hit her head. Just, there's no blood. There's no nothing. But you just die after that. That's that's all I can think of. But for for the way they were describing it, I expected there to be a little bit more damage, but apparently not. It's just blurry vision and then death. Well, the thing that I found surprising is like last season or whenever we watched an episode where they they have the technology to keep neelix alive by like creating fake yeah teleporter lungs, lungs yeah. in his body but blood his daughter out of the question <laughs> yeah his daughter whacks her head and starts bleeding internally and it's just like well i guess 
That's all we can do. He's like, I fixed one blood clot and another appears. It's unstoppable. You are, you're, mm-hmm. you're going to die. There's no way around it. I, um, I don't know what to think about the real life storyline, frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if this is good or bad. The, the thing. I, sorry. I was just gonna say, I, I kind of feel the same way. Cause like I, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but it, I was, no, I, I was having the same feelings where I did really, I did like it, but as it was drawing to a close, I'm like, I can't, I can't tell if this is too much. Yeah. It's, I say, I would say it's unquestionably too much for me. Like, I think that on a, on a, on a tone level, I think it's way too melodramatic to be effective. It feels like an after school mm-hmm. special when she's laying on the bed it and does. they all come, they all really come in does, and they're yeah. like, goodbye, Belle, or whatever her name is. Also, also, I, I felt like the change in family was realistic until the end part because I think it's nine times out of ten uh, the brother is going to become more detached and probably join more gangs after his <laughs> younger sister dies. Yeah. I don't think that's going to turn him around uh, magically. Why weren't they the Kazon instead of the Klingons? Wouldn't that make more sense? Because Balana programmed it. Well, that's true. But still. The Kazon are street gangs, right? We talked about this. They're based on LA street gangs of the time, and that would make guess, no sense for. I guess we know how she feels about her own people. For though. Reginald to be joining them, I um. So, I think I'm leaning. <coughs> excuse me, I'm leaning towards. I don't really like this, although I think it's, it's an okay idea. But I, it, what it really, what really had me stuck was mostly the fact that like. It's a storyline that reminds me that Voyager is really trying to do a TNG impression, like a mm-hmm. very hard TNG impression. And it's not quite as good as that show. And so when it does things like this, <clears throat> I'm left thinking like, this reminds me a lot of a TNG episode or this would have been better as a data episode or something. Like it's in this weird position where unless you do something different, like what DS9 was trying to do, you're really just kind of treading the same water with there's a character who's not human but kind of wants to be human or sentient mm-hmm. or something like that. And like the doctor obviously fits into the data Spock and Odo characterization. Mm-hmm. But the the problem is you start to because they've already done sort of the obvious things, which is like Spock is an alien who doesn't feel emotion. So he's like he's relatively human, but not really human because he's missing a key aspect of him. Then they move to Data, who is a robot and not human at all. And there's a question about, like, is he even a human? And then you get to the doctor. And the doctor is a computer program at its core. And you run into this weird thing where he makes a holographic family. And he interacts with them. But he's obviously superior to them because he can... Like, he can turn them off, basically. Like It's not like Data building, like, a clone of himself or something and looking at a, a robot that's talking to him. Right. The Doctor's just dealing with these other program objects. And it's sort of like it's moving far enough away from any sort of, like, realistic outlook about, like, what a human would be into this very abstract notion of, like, if I just create this false reality is that good enough for me to experience it as if it was a real thing that was happening? You know, it's it's mm-hmm. weird. It's like it's two levels too far 
from something. It's kind of like if it wasn't the doctor, if anyone else experienced this, does it mean anything? If Paris had a very sad hologram program, right? Am I supposed mm-hmm. to feel something for him? And in that case, why do I feel anything for the doctor here because he did it? Just because he's a hologram that does it? Well, I think I think part of it is it I think part of it is that it's it's meant to feel that removed because the doctor isn't doing it because the the doctor is approaching it as the most clinical of uh um science experiments basically like like data data wants to do that stuff because he honestly wants to become more like a human yeah i don't get that sense from the doctor when the doctor does this stuff i feel like he's just kind of doing it for the experience just in in a more um what's the word academic sense sure whereas data does it more for for uh because he actually wants to to the experience yeah which is which is why when Balana changes the program, it it means that he has to actually face what he is trying to experience. You know, he 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 has to go all the way into the pool instead of just up to his knees. Yes. Um. So I I I like it because of that because I do think the Doctor is different from Spock and different from Data in that he he doesn't really I don't I don't know I don't I never really get the sense that he wants to be a human you know he, he I think he wants to catalog the experience mm. but I don't think he wants to become a human the way that data does I I think it's getting the lines are becoming blurry right because he mm-hmm. why outside of wanting in what sense does him wanting to have a hollow emitter do anything other than make it seem like he's more of a real person why does he care about being off of the hol- off of the sick bay and stuff like that, right? Like, the, so the 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 I think it's inevitable that the more freedom you give the doctor and the more that mm-hmm. you respect him as like as opposed to the way that they did in early seasons, which was like they would always forget about him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The more that he becomes a remembered person who's walking around everywhere and doing everything, I feel it's inevitable that he just is a, basically now being fully respected as a person and he's trying to get to that point like so it's it's more abstract than he wants to be human he wants to be respected like a human but i think it becomes this like negligible difference down the line because his storyline is still going to operate like a data storyline in a lot of ways yeah i i I do think i do still think that there is a difference though because i i think he does want to he does want that respect, and obviously, being able to move around is is a more human experience. But I, I think he is. I, I guess let, let's put it this way: he may want to be treated more human, but his the way that he goes about doing that is still locked into his more uh, black and white clinical programming. Okay, you know, yeah. Um, so like. Yes, he wants to experience what it's like to to have a family, but the way he's going to choose to do that isn't. I need to really get in there and feel the dirt and grime of what it's like to be uh, raising a family. It's it's a it's a lot more surface level. It's a lot more uh, sleek for him, yeah. I think, than it would be for for a data. So I I kind of get hung up on like. This episode didn't really work for me on an emotional level, and I don't know if it's mm-hmm. because of the melodrama sort of spoiled it or the way that it was paced or something like that. But, like, I was drawn... I know we've brought this up, this episode a lot up recently, but, like, something like The Inner Light, right? Why do I feel much more sympathy 
and empathy for Picard at the end of that episode than I do for the Doctor in this episode. Did did did, did uh, you think of the inner know. light? It's, you're gonna have to answer that question for yourself. I think. Well, uh, like, what's the? <laughs> would you, would you agree? Inner light is a far more effective episode than this episode oh, yeah. is. Yes. W- why? Yeah. Is it just because they told the story better, or is it because I think there's something more core to the problem with this fake reality that the doctor creates? Is that it's like it's it's like wantonly manipulative or something like the, at mm-hmm. least within the context of the inner light episode, that stuff actually happened and Picard lived that kind of life. Right. You know? So there's this, there's this like gravity to the whole situation of like you, you internally understand that a lot of time has passed. He spent a lot of time with these people. He grew to know them. They were the, he thought it he thought it was reality in a lot of sense. Right. The doctor knows this is all bullshit. Like everyone knows this is bullshit. What's going on in the, the holodeck. And I think it's just it's just a very weird thing for me to look at this episode and say the death of these hologram people is effective enough for the doctor to realize something about experience emotion or like living with a family or something. Mm-hmm. Like I get it, but it doesn't seem right to me because he even has the the knowledge that he could just pause the program and delete it and he doesn't have to go through this and Paris talks him out of it, which I, I think is like a decent point, but I'm stuck with the idea. Like if this was anyone but the doctor, they would put them in a loony bin, right? For being like, these aren't real people, Tom, like don't worry about it. Uh, None none of this is happening. I don't know. I mean, I I feel like you could say that about anything, on the holodeck, and I, they they do these kinds of emotional holodeck stories all the time. Do they? <gasps> what was the last like emotional holodeck story? You know that one where um, they're always trapped on the holodeck. Yeah, you know the one where Cass gets, uh, you know, she's married and has a puppy that dies. Uh, was that, was that a real episode? I, I, <laughs> I don't think they. I, ever, I don't think anyone ever really emotionally connects with the hologram. Uh, well, what about uh, what about um, what's his name? The guy who was having sex with all of them, Barclay. Yeah, but Barclay. He's, he's just using. Or, uh, he's or just Jordy. using them. He's using them. Jordy. As a tool. Jordy falls in love with the holographic lady doctor version of a real woman, though. There's there's yeah. like a reality to that. Like he's using her as a stand-in. I think if this was an episode about Tom Paris, O'Brien we, we, and Bashir fell in love with each other on the holodeck. That's got to count for something. That, that, that's fine. I think you're you're dodging my point here, which is profound. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> which is that they uh, they've never done an episode of any of this series where someone falls in love, a human falls in love with a holodeck character. They must have done they that. They pro- they probably have, but I don't think it. W- I I think that you. I think that they would ground it in something else. Like the Geordie one is the closest that I think you're going to get, which is that he creates a version of a real person and it doesn't line mm-hmm. up with his expectation of the person, you know? Sure. But I, I think that, like, even I think there's the one where Riker, um, in early TNG, one of the alien species hijacks the Enterprise and they put Riker and trap him in the holodeck with a character called Minuet. I think, and he, oh, sure. He kind yeah. of like, he gets infatuated with her and is impressed that the holodeck is doing such a good job of creating a woman that he finds attractive. <laughs> but he's not, like, devastated when Minuet turns out to be a fake person, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Because I, 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 
I, I think for what the point what the point of the the program is, I, I just don't know like if you were going to try and tell this story with the doctor and give him this experience that was meant to be found for him, is there really I, I mean unless you actually put him in charge of a family, like a real family, which I guess you could go that way if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, is it that's kind of really the only other way you could do it, right? Like, what? Why is it that? Why? Why? Why don't you think it works for the doctor specifically? Because I mean, I guess I, I could, I could be on board saying like, yeah, if it was, if it was Paris who was in the situation, and it, and it was just like he felt like having a family, so he built a holodeck program, and yeah, maybe not. But I mean, the doctor is himself a hologram, so there is that. Yeah. Uh, element baked into it, but it's weird that he's he's the superior hologram too, right? Like he's the he's their creator hologram, and he doesn't right. he he. We've talked about this before. He doesn't interact with other holograms in a way that makes sense to me because the doctor is clearly on like a higher operating level than the other mm -hmm. holograms. Like he's a he's his own sentient little creature. And he creates these holograms that are not that. And so it feels weird there where he's, he's not even really on equal footing with them to have an equal, equal uh, interaction with them. I, I think that the problem for me is that you could maybe... It, it would maybe be more effective if it was... If it didn't feel so rapid... I guess. And that's what's, to me, that's what's interesting about the inner light is that the inner light takes place over the same amount of time. But I really feel like you live with Picard in that situation. Like this one obviously has 20 minutes of that stupid fucking B plot distracting you from everything. Right. Right. And maybe if you spent a little bit more time with the family, but I, and I'm kind of all over the place. But the other problem I have is it ties into like the fact that they're holograms and artificial is that you never really spend time with a family that feels like a normal family, right? Because it goes from a, a 50s sitcom perfect family to all of them have like absurd cliche problems, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's, I, ne there's never a moment where he's chilling out with a, a normal cool family that he feels like he's never connected <laughs> with before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I will... I will say that not having kids myself, I have observed that the <clears throat> secondary version is a lot more truer to life than the first version is. Yeah, I, I have. Yeah. I I, the, I would assume that the most common uh, th thing I've run into with people who have kids of a certain age is the kids not knowing where shoes are and shit. Which <laughs> I, that seemed that seemed very um, relatable <laughs> and from written by someone who actually has gone through that stuff. The shoes, yeah, that, but, the shoes go in the shoe bin. Yeah. Well, and but what happens when they don't? They just get thrown off, and not my problem. You, you got to find them, kid. You go find your shoes. Yeah, I, but again, I think I, I know what you're saying. But like, I, this is kind of why I think it's a bit of a disservice to not have Balana address this on the other end because it does feel like like there's no reason the, the reason that Balana jacks up the, the 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 dial so much yeah is because he basically because she knows that he doesn't know what it's like to really go through like the 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 the, the worst parts of of having a family or the the, the toughest parts yeah. so i don't know i don't know if she would just like if she had just 
adjusted it slightly so they were all kind of just more normal and well adjusted and pretty reasonable i don't think it would have been the point she was trying to get across to him but uh, but i would have bought his feeling tragedy when they die because i think that what i'm saying the problem is is that when you go from the 50s sitcom family right to this clearly artificially jacked up version of a problem family Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. have no reality within there where you're like the doctor can't step aside and say this actually feels like a real thing instead of a program that's clearly been programmed a certain way that you're interacting with okay i see what you're saying yeah so if he if balana had just jacked it up slightly I would have actually found it more effective because if she created a more real version of a family, I could see why the doctor would want to spend time there. And if the doctor spends time there and I start losing myself in the episode saying, like, these people seem like a really great fit with each other, when the kid dies at the end, I might actually feel sad for everything. Yeah, that's you know? a good point. I, th- I, mean, that's, I think you're right. I think that's probably why it feels so melodramatic at the end is because it is it comes at the, end, it comes at the tail end of high... High, gang, gang highly violence. intense yeah, right. melodrama, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I don't know what happens when you flake out on one of those Klingon blood rituals. They might be coming <laughs> for him. Or maybe he killed Maybe he killed somebody and he doesn't feel great about it. Yeah. I I, I, I liked the, the metaphor of like Klingons being the kids that you're, you don't, you're the Klingons being the friends of your kids that you don't want mm-hmm. your kids hanging out with, I thought was kind of a cute little metaphor of if, if maybe a little bit too Star Trekky for what it was. Like I think that that ties into my problem too. Is that like even in the conflict of what the kid is of what the even in the the meat of what the conflict is between the doctor and the kid, it's still so Star Trekky and overblown that I find it distracting. You know, it's like, sure, because I'm like, oh, it's kind of a cute metaphor, but it's like, this is kind of weird that he's talking about, like, he wants to be like a Klingon and they have an honor honor that the doctor doesn't have and stuff. I found it a little bit distracting. I, I just, I think that's, that's probably the difference between the inner light. Like the inner light is Picard living a normal, happy life that he always wanted for 30 minutes of the episode, you know? Right. And this is not, this is a weird this is the doctor sort of doing a sitcom thing of like running around, pulling his hair out, <clears throat> what's left of his hair while all these problems go on around him that he can't solve. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think one of the reviews said it moved from a Brady Bunch sitcom to a Married with Children sitcom. And that feels, that feels <laughs> right to me about it. And I, I think that's my problem with it because you, once, you, once you get to the end and the kid dies and you have to have this dramatic scene it's been so overblown that it, it can only be melodrama at that point yeah. because there's nothing left that's realistic. Or there's nothing real about any of it. And also, I don't know. It, he asked <clears throat> he asked his kid to play on the other team, and she said okay, and then she died. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. He does bear the brunt of one. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's what killed her, but <laughs> let's just. I mean, if she was playing with with uh, people who were older and more experienced maybe she doesn't get hurt was she doing parisi squares have we ever seen that game or has it only been mentioned in the show i think it might i only- can't i don't know if we've ever seen it because i, I it's not ambo jitsu unfortunately I, I recognize the name but i couldn't remember where i recognize it from yeah i th- maybe that maybe they've just brought it up did uh <clears throat> and i think that you know one of the besides the what's his problem with his wife in this episode, just that she's stressed out. Is that all? Because ever since they got married, Wes, she doesn't uh, do the dishes the way that she used to. Yeah. 
He does bring that up. No, I I think uh, <laughs> I think his pre- I think his problem with his wife is that he's a dickhead because <laughs> yes, basically, yeah. she's got stuff that she wants to do, and he's like, mm, what if you just stayed home and. <laughs> <laughs> made food for us instead well he's he's I, I, that was another sort of weird thing like when he has the team meeting and he reschedules everything for the family he doesn't really have to reconcile that at all right like i, I guess right, that's him yeah. trying to control the program because he knows it's all fake and the program is rebelling against him but it's not that well, i wouldn't I, really again, say that's I, the point i don't i don't know if it's that i think it's him not understanding that uh, there are that when you're in a, when you are when you have a family other people you you there's compromise and and sacrifices everybody needs to make not just everybody for you you know yeah that's i, the, I don't that's i don't think it's a, right i don't i don't think it's a question of him um messing with the program or anything oh see i mean i i completely understand that it's like thematically it it represents you know it's what you're saying it's like if this yeah. was a real family it's that you can't just be the the sort of like leader of the group or whatever. It's a shared organism or whatever you want to call it. But <clears throat> but the the reason the reason he's trying to do that to me makes sense in that he is the author of this program and like they should do these things for him. You know, like I'd be interested in that conflict of whether or not like he thinks that he can actually run this thing because he created it and he wants to, but he's learning that he can't actually control it. And maybe that's the metaphor that's buried within it. But I just thought the scene itself didn't really amount to anything because all it does is it gets everyone grumpy, but then everyone drops it at the end. No one cares about the rescheduling except for the girl dies, obviously, because he rescheduled it to Tuesday instead of Wednesday or whatever. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's uh, what else you do with that plot point, really. Um, yeah. Other than just have that one scene where he realizes that there are more people that need to be cared about besides just himself. Mm-hmm. Which is, <clears throat> I mean, is that the is that a weird storyline for a doctor character, or do you think that's in line with the doctor characterization? Right, because he's. He he's kind of written aloof and grumpy, but he is a doctor whose primary thing is to fix people and to take care of others. You know, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I I, I think I think it is in line with his characterization because he does he does kind of uh, value his his own time more yes. than anybody else's. Yeah, and he thinks very highly of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just. Maybe it's a sort of deeper question about whether or not the doctor is set up appropriately. Like he, I mean, because the, the doctor's characterization again to, to retrain the doctor's characterization is not super far off from Bones, right? Sure, I think he's kind of he's kind of Bones like in that in that way that he um, strongly opinionated and sort of like a not a team player sort of i don't know if i would go that far but like he's i don't know how i would describe him just kind of just kind of persnickety i guess would be the way to describe him but um anything else about real life here the the storyline itself where, like where do you, I you start you you sounded real you sounded life. pretty pretty positive about it what would you like the best of the uh, the real life storyline the sitcom family I just thought I thought it was a a good turn for him, and I and I thought it was, 
I thought it was a more interesting thing they'd done on the show than than it, well it's it's funny because there's two episodes it's been two episodes in a row of characters living fake lives which is interesting oh yeah yeah it's true um but yeah i thought it was i thought it was an interesting thing to do with him like i i i like these kind of uh turns on the the data wants to be a human kind of thing doing it through the doctor i think i i understand that there's a um uh, diminishing returns when you do this stuff but it was a it was it was a it was a new wrinkle that i feel like they never really did with any of those other characters like i don't think there's is does data ever have a family that he needs to deal with or anything well he has his real family like he has lore and his mother and Ah, his father (laughs) that's the the, yeah that's i mean that to me that i i find that to be a big problem really is like the lack of reality without spending time in the lack of reality thinking that it is reality like to me that's mm-hmm. to me that matters a lot like you you can't spend time in a fake world and the lesson learned feels less important than if you are in the world and it becomes your world you know like the mm-hmm. cuz the DS9 episode with O'Brien did the same where it's like he's in prison for a couple minutes, but the the prison sentences they hook him up to a machine, which makes him feel like he spent fifty years in prison or something like that. Oh right, yeah. Like something deeper has to impact you. I think like you have to you have to really experience it. And I think the holographic family doesn't didn't do that, but mm. I do like the I uh, <clears throat> like in the context of Voyager. I really like the idea of the characters on the show escaping to the holodeck to find something that they can't find on the ship, you know? Sure, yeah. And that sort of works for the Doctor here. I, I wish they did with all, with other characters, and maybe I'd feel a little bit more sympathetic towards it, but I do think that the holodeck on Voyager is probably the most important holodeck out of all the uh, the franchise series, but I don't think the show recognizes that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it has the biggest potential to really be used as a tool. Um, but they they don't really they don't really uh, do it's that a, yeah it's as, as much fitness. as they could yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay we'll just go to patron thoughts then if we are done with this one if you guys enjoyed the content today you can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes you get extra podcasts you get a whole bunch of stuff at patreon.com slash the Penske file now we're going to read some of the comments that are left and I'm speaking slowly so I can find your discord chat bubble. I have a hard time finding the chat bubble when I'm trying, when I'm under duress trying to find out where <laughs> the chat is and I've, I've found it, but it took me a long time. Um, I will send you this one from Kyle Barat. You can go first. Real life. I don't know whether to be angry or applaud the massive balls on the writers for daring to have Chakotay exclaim, I've never seen anything like that before when describing a space anomaly the likes of which he sees every fucking episode. (laughs) The B-plot is pure generic filler, but the Doctor storyline is good. The Doctor learns and grows, even though his once goal of being respected as an individual has now drifted too close to wanting to be human. I could see data in the storyline. Mm. I also think the idea of a human wanting to be a Klingon could be a good story in a new show. They could be trans species using medication and surgery to become Klingon and explore the reactions to such a thing from humans and Klingons alike in a transgender parallel, although the show shows don't seem to, me- to do metaphor anymore and get it wrong 
and goodbye career. Uh, three, oh shit, I just realized I pitched Ash Tyler out of five. <laughs> you know, you know what actually would have been an interesting twist on this? On Ash Tyler if, or this episode? On, on this episode. Is if uh, Bolana makes the adjustments and then he goes into this new wacky family and, and he actually doesn't, or I should say, not that he doesn't, but along the way he realizes that what Bolana has actually programmed is her own childhood. Right. And so what he's actually experiencing is her is Bolana's Bolana having to Bolana dealing with being uh, a half human half Klingon. Yeah. And so that's where the the uh, um, the gang stuff comes from. It's it's a completely different episode, but I feel like there's there could be something interesting there where you could get two realizations at the end of it the doctor oh, sure. gets to experience yeah the family thing but he also helps Bolana work through some you know yeah, generational trauma her. or whatever yeah yeah no that would have had that would have definitely added layers to it yeah i'd agree uh <clears throat> excuse me thank you kyle norman buckwald says real life this is a slightly overrated doctor episode that as far as concept goes works well I do agree with what the other podcast critics have surmised that Bolana deliberately made the doctor's life hell with her revisions, including deliberately killing off the daughter. But remember what he did to her in Darkling. Wendy Shaw, who plays Francine in American Dad, actually plays the holographic wife, which makes me wonder if Seth MacFarlane saw this episode and said, aha, I found my perfect trophy wife for Stan, obviously pre-Bolana revision. Still, guess what? Death of losing his daughter is never referenced to again. 2.5 forgotten griefs for the doctor out of... Five. You know, I think that is one thing that's kind of that kind of drills into the point that you were making earlier. Is like <laughs> he has to ha- he has to talk to Bolana about this because even though he's experiencing what he's experiencing, the fact remains that Bolana programmed this to happen. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. like, I, if I was him, I would I would be like, why did you program the worst possible thing? Why did you you did she have to die? Well, do you, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I, I would agree that Bolana programmed it. it. Are we sure that Bolana has intent? Like I, I could, I could see an argument that Bolana just said, let's have a lot of horrible shit happen. And she cranked up that dial, but she didn't know that someone was going to die. For oh, okay. It, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. That's re- That's, that's easy to believe. Yeah. But I, I would agree that I think Bolana, I think you have to bring Bolana back into it. For some, yeah, I think know? you have to. Either way, even if it's unintentional what she's done, she should go back. She should be at the bedside with the doctor in the final scene, I think. You know, yeah. that, that would make a little bit Cause, more sense. Because otherwise, you know, you've got that scene. I, I was wrong. I forgot they do have that scene where he decides he doesn't want to do it anymore and, and Paris tells him all that he's got to experience the you've whole thing. You've got to, Doc. You gotta and there's a it. certain when it's when it's someone who's not <clears throat> Bolana and not the person trying to make a point. There is a certain feeling of it where it's it's like he's trying to convince him he has to finish Last of Us two. Yeah, yeah, you know, or it's yeah. he's played a <laughs> you he's played a game. video game. <laughs> yeah, he's played a video game that that took a plot turn that was too more than he expected to have to deal with, and he doesn't want to face it again. It's like, well, you know, you need to. You need to finish the game. Doc, you bought the game full price at $70. If you played it one and a half hours, you're not getting the value out of that game that you, you rightfully pre, deserve. You pre-ordered that game <laughs> a year and a half ago, Doc. <laughs> it came with a shitty plastic chalice with, with a box set thing, and you've got it on your desk collecting dust. You you ordered early. You got the swimsuit skin for your wife. <laughs> I didn't get that because I waited, and I regret it every day of my life. Every day. Every day I write the book. 
Thank you very much to... Who was that? That was Norman. Thank you. Uh, I thought I had a point out of that as well. I guess I don't. Royo says, real life, this episode has been repeatedly described as emotional blackmail, almost as cruel as Bolana having the doctor's daughter intentionally killed. It's an episode that, uh, that is meant to be heart-wrenching, but I don't agree with the episode's message about pain being good for you, and I don't like what the episode does to the characters. I end up taking very little away from this episode other than its misery porn, like watching DS9's Far Beyond the Stars. Two out of five. That is, that is something also that... I don't know. I, I, I feel like the, the cliche, well, you know, if you'll never experience the good parts of life if you don't experience the bad parts. Like, I don't, really, though? Like, I, I feel like I could go my whole life without someone I love dying horribly in a car crash or something. Mm-hmm. I, don't th- mm-hmm. I don't feel like that's going to enrich my life <laughs> if, if that happens. If, if it happens. Well, it... Um, I I guess I see it both ways, which is that if you have no downside to anything, you fail to embrace the good times, which is like a just a classic human <clears throat> problem anyway. Like mm-hmm. for if you ever have if you ever ever have like a chronic uh health thing that hurts, right? Like my, my back is a chronic health issue. Mm-hmm. On the days where my back is good, I don't appreciate the goodness enough. But when the days that it's bad, it makes me appreciate the goodness again, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like you if you if if all you have is just a B plus of a life, I don't think you'll end, get to the end of it appreciating your B plus without the downsides because the the dips are what make you recognize that like it's all fleeting and like you need to appreciate the good stuff that's happening to you yeah so i like i I don't know if pain is good but i think that pain resets your brain to appreciate what you have in a way they're like and i would agree with you like i would prefer no one die horribly but i i think it's more like the 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 peak tragedy is probably not necessary but a little bit of dips in the road, I think, are healthy for you or good for you. Yeah, you break down. Car can break down every now and then. That's right. Yeah, the car won't start. <laughs> you just say, damn you. This thing was starting yesterday, and I didn't I didn't stroke its uh, dashboard affectionately every time it you did. Showing up for the doctor's appointment late? No problem. No problem. Showing up late and then finding out you've got terminal cancer? I could do without that part. <laughs> well, the doctor would deliver the news to you in a way that's not sympathetic because you've screwed up her whole schedule. Yes. Royo, thank you very much for your comment. Atenga, I will leave, I'll give this one to you, Clay. Atenga says, two weeks ago, he wrote this about real life. TNG asked, what does it mean to be a better society, to be just and to be moral? DS9 said, okay, but what does it take? And now here comes Voyager asking, hey, Weren't the 50s just great mm-hmm. that the holographic doctor expects a 20th century suburban picket fence family with a stay-at-home wife is just stupid, especially when the episode has nothing to say about the class structure it's depicting or even what a family might look like in the future. It's a shallow and manipulative nostalgia trip by the writers, and I say fuck it. 
two scary modern ethnic kids with their rap music and nappy hair being a bad influence on my son out of five. I was, that was the point that actually kind of stuck out to me as I was watching this as I was like, I understand what they're doing with the Klingon thing. Yeah. But having the son be like, it's just a cultural yeah, difference and the father difference. being like no it's not a cultural difference these people are monsters <laughs> i was like i i think that we're tapping into something that they weren't intending to tap into here <laughs> yeah it's a uh any of the the darker skinned aliens are probably a bad uh, make them cardassians or something to avoid that i think because the cardassians have a little bit of a tough ethos to get around. well and i i think i think it, the cultural thing is weird too because like well it's wrong I, the, the, it's it's the show in my opinion, it's the show not, it's the show doing its Star Trek thing of being like wildly optimistic about stuff, and it's it's not mm-hmm. reality to me, really. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, it also, it is kind of strange <coughs> that the Doctor. I don't know. I, yeah, I think I think ultimately there's probably a better version of this story in there somewhere. You mean it's weird that the doctor makes the fifties version? Yeah. See, yeah. I, I I only disagree with his comments and the fact that they move away. F- they they recognize that the fifties is a pristine Norman Rockwell painting in this, mm-hmm. right? Like Bolana yeah. tells him that the thing that he's built, which is this sort of idealized fifties family, is not realistic at all. Again, it comes back to my problem. The version that she makes is also not realistic to me. It's like it's too much. So, yeah. well, you know, the, th- the so here's here's something that is interesting. <clears throat> if I think if they were to do this episode, this is the, what I feel like the difference between the Doctor and Data is. Mm-hmm. If they were to do the same episode with Data, Data would build the second family first okay you know what i mean because i think i think data is is mining the experience and and uh digging for for a more quote-unquote real experience which would then uh um What's where, I'm look, what's where I'm looking for? Uh, present itself as extreme to anyone who wasn't a robot. Right, yeah. Whereas the doctor is just looking for the gloss surface level experience that plays to, uh, that that doesn't um, inconvenience him at all. So I think that's, yeah, that's, that's the, the interesting difference between the two of them, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's fair, I think. Because in the data one, at a certain point, when they, when they have the dinner scene with the second family, Troy or whoever's going to be like, data. Why did you build this awful family? <laughs> and he would be like, "Well, because I needed to get a, a, a realistic depiction of all the the highs and the extreme lows of of the human experience and that yeah. kind of thing." Yeah, that, I, that's the yeah the data not feeling emotion allows those stories to go differently because he wouldn't react to the weirdness of it. You know, he just yeah. he just observes it, and and that's enough. It really just makes the um, you know, but man, it's like DS9 just had the right idea. Like they're, the Odo character is the outsider in DS9, the most outside of non-human type thing, right? But they gave Odo just a like a point of view of things and it yeah. goes a long way to making his outsiderness actually feel like it fits the series and you have a lot of stuff you can do with him and it feels right. Um, I don't, I think that that's, 
in our conversation about whether or not the doctor and data are too similar to each other, I think it's because the the doc, data is extremely well defined, and I think that the doctor is slightly less well defined. He's he's kind of just a copy of this idea yeah. set set to a hologram, and they've never really taken the time to say what is the doctor's thing at this point. Like, what yeah, is he agree. trying to do? Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Point XG says, real life, 90s Trek wasn't ready to fully embrace a largely non-sci-fi story at this point. I think there was enough to work with regarding the Doctor having a family story to fill a whole episode. Picardo is definitely good enough to carry that for the full hour. The weird anomaly storyline is standard Trek fare, and it doesn't really bring anything aside from some Tom and Bellana flirting. I guess no one cared about anything on that alien space station. No, we did not. Yeah, they, they really... They really just dump that whole thing once they once they find the anomaly. They don't even just they don't even try to figure out what happened. No, fuck that thing. There's only sixty dead. We got one sick girl in this. We got one holographic sick girl in his, yeah. his bed. Tax Bear says, "Real life, the Doctor's self-inflicted sitcom family nightmare is very entertaining. Fits the character and explores some data data esque curiosity. I can't comment on the anomaly B plot because I don't remember anything about it." Fair. Dialing up Star Trek says, I am not ashamed to say that this episode made me cry a couple times and I would not change anything about it. I love the Doctor's journey and the messages that this episode is sharing. Messages about family, unrealistic expectations, and loss. How life comes with the good and the bad and to come together during the bad times because it makes you stronger. This is a five out of five. Come on, guys. Have a hard, great speech by Tom Paris episode. Five out of five. Five out of five. I don't think you're the first. This, I don't think you're the last five out of five. Oh, here's another one. Ben Espinosa says, could this be Voyager's inner light? Yeah, it could be. Is it exploitative? Yes, but that's the point. Doc's Hollow family teaches him all about real life, and as a father of two, it hit the nail on the head. And yes, I teared up when poor Belle died, but it felt natural to the story. Also, nice character work with Tom and Bolana. Another five out of five. Wow. All right. Powerful opinions. Jonas, yeah. I'll send you Jonas's, actually, because you haven't read one in a while. He, he brings us back down with his uh, take on this. Uh, it's just a two-word review of real life. It says <laughs> real shit, shit life. <laughs> real shit, yeah. Uh, as a human, I find it hard to empathize with holographic images. The obvious exception, of course, is the doctor, whom we have had a long time to know and love. As for his holographic family, we don't know them. Even if some of us can sympathize with the doctor because, say, we are parents ourselves, still one episode is not enough to make us truly appreciate his connection to his family and to feel anything about it as a result. Two out of five. I guess I, I should say something um, as a parent about this. I, there is, uh, how, do I, how do I explain? So th- there is a... Something changed when becoming a parent when I'm presented with a storyline like this, right? And the thing that has changed is that when I see the child actor pretending to die, I I do think about my kids saying the same thing, sort of. Like that that mm-hmm. that happens and I sort of like view it that way. But I don't know what I'm really trying to say here. So, but the, the, what about the, what about when the other child actor tells you you're a fucking asshole? Well, then, then I imagine the other <laughs> child saying that, and I'm like, oh, that's why you're my least favorite. There's something. So I do have this sense of like, yes, like if you're a parent and you have these storylines, it does change it slightly, but it only changes it in that I see it 
through, I imagine something happening to my child that this story is sparking in my brain, right? But I don't feel, I don't feel any different for the holographic character on the TV show. Does that make sense? Like I sure, yeah. I only get affected in the sense that I think about if this happened to my kid, that would make me sad. But it doesn't. It that sort of manipulation doesn't work on me in terms of seeing the TV show as being any different. And I wonder. Before I had kids, I would have thought that the ending scene was terrible. I think, and now I just mm-hmm. think it's like very bad. So <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It hasn't really swayed me in any direction. But I, I was wondering, how, like, do you feel? How did you feel about the? death scene was it like purely awful were you rolling your eyes the whole time or did it do anything for you well what you just said is also the same reason why when someone else's kid runs into the street after a ball you just stand there and watch right yeah i don't i don't i don't i don't (laughs) yell if you if you yell someone will say you gotta be quiet Don't, Um, don't run into the street kids it's a bad idea yeah i uh i thought it was way over the top um like i i've I found myself imagining Pliskin was telling you that he can't yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Is yeah. it ever? Is it, no. Is it ever going to end? I, I, I find I found myself affected by it a bit, but more often than not, I, I felt like I was just kind of going, "I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it." You know, it's just yeah. they swelled the music hard. They they put some real music swells in there. Yeah, it's it's way too um, after school, especially. When the, the family comes in the door together, you know, and he's like, come in, family. Let us sit with our daughter. And yeah, so, yeah I, I thought it was uh, incredibly over the top. Did, did you prefer the son plot with the gang storyline? That was pretty silly, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I thought the best part was the beginning of it when he comes home for the first time and the, the wife has to rush out and yep. the daughter can't find oh, after, clothes. Oh, after it's gone crazy. Son, yeah, yeah after, and yeah, the okay. son is this, that. Like, I thought that part, I thought they nailed that stuff. But yes. then once it turned into over-the-top melodramatic death scene and gang my son violence, is becoming yeah. a, uh, um, yeah, gang quote, violence. Quote-unquote Klingon. Yeah. Yeah. Changeling says, real life, I really like this episode. Even with the B-plot dragging, the juxtaposition of the two serves as a good example of how to write a good sci-fi story. A-plot has aliens and holograms, sure, but it's something simple and relatable, a family drama. Whereas the B-plot is say a lot of big words and shake the camera. Although one nitpick, why does the doctor need to be on the holodeck if he's a computer program? Can't he just run the simulation in his head? Five after-school specials about teaching your kids to stay away from those of different races out of five. I did. I was wondering that, too. I actually didn't realize he was actually actually taking up holodeck time and space with yeah. this. I thought he was just doing this, like, inside his program. No, he's yeah, he beams himself right in there. and takes. I like the idea of him taking up space and other people waiting their turn and being upset that it's the doctor in there. Uh I will say that there are kids that you hate that your kids hang out with. Uh, they might not be Klingon and they might not be a different race, as Changeling saying, but <laughs> there are some bad kids out there, man. Matt Ross. I, I, do, you, do you, in retrospect, realize that you hung out with yes. bad kids you yes. didn't realize knew, at the time? I knew my parents didn't like them, too. Yeah. yeah. There were, I, I only had a couple. There were a few kids that, I, in retrospect, I'm like, I understand why my mother acted weird around this person. Yeah. 
Well, because when you're kids, you think that your parents don't know or notice anything, but it's like, it's yeah. especially when you're like young and it's like, Jesus, guys, you guys are fucking stupid. And it's like, I, I understand everything that you're trying to hint at, but I had a, I had a couple like that. Yeah. That like, um, and I think I, I think maybe I, I kind of maybe understood, but I certainly thought that my parents were overreacting. Although I, I understand now the downside of that stuff. Your parents know more than you think they do. Mm-hmm. This is Matt Ross with Real Life. <clears throat> Real Life. Just to get the B plot out of the way, it's odd how after learning that a space station had 60 dead scientists from something, Janeway, with a bloodlust smile, wants to take a chance exploring it with the ship. I actually wanted to know more about the weird subspace thingy. As to the family, going from Leave it to Beaver and then injecting TV family hell is quite jarring. Now that Bellana is wearing a braid, I guess that means she can ruin someone's fantasy or make Tom's. The family plot with its arguments distracting the doctor's work is semi-relatable, and the sad ending was ably acted with some heart. Three hourglass wobbles out of five. I have to say that um, Bellana is the most differently spelled name of any character in Star Trek, and I do not know how to correctly spell her name, so everyone is get some points here. But yeah, I have I have no idea. I, I assumed it was how Matt is it was a B apostrophe. I, I think it's more complicated than that. Hold on, Bolana Torres. So it's B apostrophe E L A N N A. It's oh. Baelana. Baelana. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. So now to quickly forget that, knock that out of my brain. Don't need to hold <laughs> on to that fact. Grappler John Zorn says, real life random thoughts. One, the idea of pausing grief is worthy of examination, and this story seems a genuine effort at realizing it. Two, I can't help but think that Worf would have made a better dad for young Jeffrey than he was for Alexander. Three, that Klingon kid had teeth that even ADR can't save. Four, why wouldn't the doctor think to go to Bolana to seek a programming solution to save his fake daughter's life? And Grappler John Zorn spelt Bolana correctly, so we'll go to him right, in the future. And then five, in my gut, I just can't believe that if you leave a hologram, hologram on long enough, it somehow becomes sentient. My Mac Pro has been on since 2008, and it's not ordering the Stepford Wives on Amazon. Three out of five. <laughs> Thanks very much. Uh, this is not a real comment. Um, I'll give you this one, and then I'll take the last one. This is Jaron Hatch. Real life. Uh, is this the real life? So, did Bellana program the computer to axe the doctor's daughter because she was so put out by the saccharine dinner? Or is this the holodeck going kill happy again? Either way, there is some serious sadism going on here. Especially since the son is also into cutting, apparently. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly an accurate portrayal of, bo- of a bog-standard week of family life. But boy, <laughs> does it make for great television. Why, oh why, though, do they have to fill the runtime, fill half the runtime with a totally unrelated Technobabble B-plot? God damn fucking Voyager. Mm-hmm. Four after-school games of Parisi Squares ending with a child fatality out of five. <laughs> Hold on. I, per- I just always assume like Parisi Squares was like Pogs or something, which is yeah, why I- it's that much more shocking that this child died. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was checkers. Okay, so it was a vigorous and rather violent athletic game played by people of many worlds and ages during the 24th century. Its popularity among the youth was a concern for parents. Player, I'm say, players were called Parisi's players. <laughs> I'm going to say great band name, nerdy band name that um, not like practically nobody would get. 
Yeah. Like if you're looking for a nerdy band name, this is it. That you that you want to you know the people who are in the know know. Yeah. But it's not something that you need to like would really ding anybody else's alarm. Yeah. Parisi Squares is fantastic. Would you would you call yourself the Parisi Squares or just Parisi Squares? Uh, if you want to be cool, probably just Parisi Squares. Okay. Because it because it almost like it almost if you say the Parisi Squares it almost um it almost brings up an image that that immediately even though you don't know why like <laughs> like you say like oh the Parisi Square yeah I I I get it yeah sure yep yeah Parisi I went to see Parisi Square yeah Parisi Squares I think I think I would also do without the the and we'd call ourselves the Parisi's player it would be like it would be like the Ramones I'd be Wes Parisi you'd be Clay Parisi. <laughs> <laughs> we got Gino Parisi over here. <laughs> oh boy. Uh Samuel asked with the final comment. <coughs> Excuse me. This cold has just settled in my chest. Real life writer. Quote, hey, I've got a really good story idea about the doctor experiencing the ups and downs of parenting and the complexities of raising children, but it's only 20 minutes. Can you help me flesh it out? Producer, no thanks. Let's just stick Tom Paris in a space hurricane for the other 20 minutes. That'll do the <laughs> trick. Two actors terrible at playing Klingons out of five. Thanks, patrons, for leaving your thoughts at patreon.com slash thepenskyfile. If you want to do it, you go there. Patreon.com slash thepenskyfile. Leave your thoughts, and we'll read them on the podcast. Clay, on a scale of one to five, what are you going to give real life? Mm. I think the patrons ended up at like a three. There were a couple fives yeah. and some lows, and then a couple threes in there. So I think I'm going high three on this one. Okay. I appreciate this. I appreciate the swing. Even though this half of it is, yeah. Why can't they just? Why can't they just recognize when they have a concept worth exploring and just go? Hey, maybe we don't. Why don't, don't you need. guys take a take a week <laughs> off? Go see your families, and we're gonna go uh, actually explore this concept for a, way, a bit. My favorite. Hold on, let me see if I can find the little factoid here. Um. Yeah, so th- this is my favorite little factoid. It just shows like the uh, the era in time that this was made. Um, the CGI effects of the episode is utilized to depict the astral eddies were created by CGI supplier Foundation Imaging. Um, Peter Lauritsen, producer, who thought the astral eddy as a space tornado, was amazed that effects had advanced to the point where the visual effects sequences of the episode could be produced. Shortly after making this, he said, we just did a show on Voyager where we portrayed a huge twister in space. If you had asked me to do that on TNG, I would have fallen off of my chair and said, what are you talking about? How much money do you have? And do you have two <laughs> years to do it? Now, 10 years later, we're able to do it on the same schedule that we were for TNG. And we're able to do an extremely convincing job of a tornado that's churning and tossing things around. <laughs> it, it it looks terrible, but right, all I could think of there is like it's that meme of like there was like a video game magazine from like 1995 and it showed like the original Doom monster and it was like our graphics going to get any better than this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I, I sure if was, you would ask me in 1992, I would have had steam coming out of my ears. <laughs> we can't do that. <laughs> Falling out of his chair. I, uh, not too long ago, I rewatched the movie Spawn based on the the Leguizamo the, one. Yes, based on the comic book character, and um, um, they remade someone, that, right? Isn't there a new no, Spawn? No, they've uh, Todd McFarlane has been threatening to make another Spawn movie since this one came out thirty years ago, and has oh. not yet managed to do it. Um, they never made they didn't remake it. 
No, never. Am I yet. hallucinating that? Oh, okay. Sure. There was a cartoon. Yes. Which I also tried to watch again and it was it was like unwatchable. It really? Like, I made it through like an image. I wasn't even like paying it. I was working while I was watching it and even that I was like, I got to shut this off. I can't. This is too much. Um, but the movie, uh, someone had posted on on Twitter the, the last final confrontation between um, Spawn and the evil demon Malbolgia. Yeah. And uh, it is safe to say, I noticed this as I was watching it as well, they bit off a bit more than they could chew in, in 1995 or 6 or whatever the hell this was, 97 yes. maybe. Yeah. It is a CGI spectacular on a scale that even today I think would be difficult to do. <laughs> <laughs> and it is just trash. It is really, really bad. We should, we should do the Spawn movie for Patreon. Oh, God. It, the it, Violator looks pretty good, though, but yeah. all things considered. But I mean, is Spawn is Spawn a good idea, or is Spawn just a, like a great idea to twelve year old me? Yes, great idea to twelve year old you. Okay. It's um, it's it's got a lot of potential, but I honestly, I collected probably, I want to say the first fifty Spawn comics. Wow, they even had that many? I, I thought oh, it was dude, like a relative... still, it, No, it's still going. Oh, like my God. I thought it was like a now. limited run thing. Okay, never mind. No, no, it's still going. Um, and I could not tell you a single storyline. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's it's the setup is really great. Yeah, the he's setup, his, his backstory is great. Yeah. yeah, he's an assassin who gets killed, gets assassinated by the people he works for, and then he gets offered in hell, he gets offered the chance to come back and see his family. He just has to take on the role of leading Hell's Army. Yeah. And uh, he says yes, but he gets tricked by the devil, that old scamp. Yeah. And he sends who's, him back. Who sees that guy? Who saw this one yeah, coming? I know. And he sends him back five years in the future, and he's all fucked up looking. But the honestly, <laughs> I think the most uh, most ingenious part that doesn't get enough love is, at least, I don't know if they do, it's probably long gone at this point, but when it started, the book started, um, the deal was he had all of this demon power energy that he could use to like blast stuff and like make his armor bigger and spikes and yeah, chains the and chains shit. yeah but there was a limited n- amount of it and so at the end of every issue there would be a little t- like a little clock mm-hmm. at the in the bottom of the corner of the page showing how much power he had left right and so theoretically it's like well if he keeps using the power so this is <laughs> i think it was just an excuse for him to be able to shoot stuff out of his hands, yep. but also need to use gigantic guns. Right. So a little, sure, little bit of yeah. both. Yeah, because <laughs> um, that's not a draining of the power if you just get right. some hardware. Right, yeah. but I always thought that the, the draining power thing was a nice little wrinkle. Yeah, that's not... He can't recharge it somehow? He can't like, suck I, a soul I, out prob- or something? He pro- not, I, not at the beginning. I'm, pr- I'm sure they probably came up with a reason and then got rid of the entire conceit. But Yeah, yeah. It's a cool, it's a cool look. But, Great look, yeah, yeah, because it's literally. Todd McFarlane said, "Spawn, Spawn is cool. How to make Spawn cool? Well, Spider Man's really popular, and so is Batman. Yeah, what if I both? Just... <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's got a skull for a codpiece, which is nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, patrons, for leaving your thought. Oh, you, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't read it. You gave it a high three. I suppose. Yeah. Did I interrupt you, or were we going down some other path? Or are you done with your rating? No, I'm done. Um, I mean, I can talk about Spawn for the rest of the night. <laughs> if you want. We'll save it for the Patreon. Um, 
Because I want to do, we'll do Spawn and we'll do Virtuosity on the, on the page. <laughs> you know what? Oh, let's do it. I'll do that. <laughs> we'll do those two. Those, that'll be our promise for next month if we don't get, maybe we'll get one in this month because it's the middle of the month. Um, I'm going to give it a two because half of it being that B plot means it mm-hmm. kind of has to be a three mathematically, even, even if it was great. And I think that the real life sitcom family is not great. So I'll give it a two to split the difference a little bit more. Um, sure. I, you know, we, we blazed, we went right through it, but I, I thought that the B plot, the space anomaly was like a terrible, that's just terrible. That's a terrible yeah, storyline. It's, it's really bad. Uh, the holodeck family has some potential. I think it just has problems. So I'm going to, I'm going to take it down to a two and they'll call it there. So you give it a three, I'll give it a two and we'll continue marching on. We're almost at the end of season three of Voyager. Distant origin is the next episode. Patreon, patreon.com slash the is the place to support us. Get to leave your comments. You'll eventually see Virtuosity and Spawn and all the other <laughs> stuff that Clay and Amanda do and Sean and Clay. And, so. then, and then we will see a number of people cancel their subscriptions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? Um, Spawn was also kind of interesting in that um, what's, his, what's his birth name? Tom something? Uh, Al Simmons. Al Simmons, who's a black man, right? Yes. Which mm-hmm. was a, which I always thought was just kind of like shocking. I guess it's because like it's it's this weird thing too because he always he, for ninety nine percent of the comic or whatever or the story he's going to look like Spawn, right? So it's right. like you you're just he doesn't look like anything at that point. But then you saw the flashback. He's just like, wow, blowing my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's and that's he's, diversity. <laughs> it's 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 revolutionary because he's a black superhero who doesn't have black in the name of his character. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. He's not too. black spawn. That's <laughs> <laughs> Although it would be really funny if they if they, they had a second spawn who was a white guy who they referred to as white spawn. They should have turn, they, turn the tables. Well, he should he should do exactly the same thing, but he goes to heaven <laughs> as a white guy. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> it's just like he gets sent back as like heaven spawn or something like that. And it's just incredibly awkward for everybody reading. That's it. Thanks everybody for listening to Patreon's con- This is not Patreon's content. I've said Patreon too many times. This last one meaning. Do you have anything you want to say, Clay? Check out the Rotten Horror Picture Show on Patreon and on your regular feeds. Uh, this month, Amanda and I are covering uh, Dario Argento's Inferno for our Video Nasties coverage. And uh, Badass, we have just finished season two of Batman Beyond. We'll be back with Return of the Joker relatively soon, somewhere Mm. in there. And uh, if you're at a comic book store, pick up Batman White Knights Presents Generation Joker, which is on the stands written by myself and Sean and Katana Collins and drawn by Merca Andolfo. And it's a fun book. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the content today. We'll be back with Distant Origin, which is our next Voyager episode. Otherwise, we'll see you.